Let not the cooings of the world allure thee, which of her lovers ever found her true. Edward Young Welcome to this week's episode of Warfare, Advancement, and Revisionism. My name is Preston Floyd, and as always, I'm your host. I'd like to thank you all for joining me, and uh, for any new people, welcome in. I hope you enjoy. I hope you go back and listen to our backlog. And for my returning listeners, thank you, as always. Um... So I don't have much to go over in terms of corrections or too much in terms of clarifications. I feel like I've been pretty good and uh, seems to mostly um, have been clear. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and get started for this, our final episode uh, for Europe uh, for uh, the 8,000 to 6,000 BCE time frame. And uh, when I say, uh, of course, we'll be talking about the British Isles, but and that and that is also Ireland. Uh, and um, to start with that, we're going to do, of course, some etymology. Now, the name Britain comes from the Latin Britannia, which came from Greeks who used uh, something close to pretaneke, uh, uh, which was with a P-R-E. Uh, but I guess hearing that uh, kind of evolved over time to Brit instead of Pret uh, for the Latins. Uh, and this is apparently uh, the, the Greek version, Pretaniki, or Pretaniki. Uh, this is apparently uh, a loan word from uh, a Celtic, Pretani, uh, which meant either something like painted or tattooed uh, people. Uh, so fairly straightforward. Uh, then you have Ireland, which is a combination of land and a corruption of the old Irish ear, which is uh, the land of ear. Uh, now, the origin of that term is very usually linked to the, there's an old Irish pagan goddess, uh, Iru. Uh, and uh, there are other names that are used for both of these uh, islands and island chains, um, of course, uh, but we will talk more about those names as well as the, the goddess uh, in future episodes. But that's kind of the main uh, point of, um, of uh, etymology. Uh, but that does remind me, uh, someone had asked why I didn't go into the etymology of France. Uh, it, it's kind of... Uh, it's, I have chosen not to like fully break down the etymology of everything, um, but France isn't going to be used for that region until a lot later, whereas I feel like uh, Britannia and Ireland, uh, those are you know those are kind of longer lasting terms uh, in my opinion. I think Britannia is used well before uh, France is used to uh, talk about um, that region. And again, like um, kind of like the term Italy, uh, it did not expand until later, and um, the people living in France kind of did not live just in France. There's some overlap between the Iberian Peninsula, Germany, and Italy, and then you know that kind of thing. So I understand it's kind of arbitrary, uh, but it is 
it is my decision. Uh, but I will, of course, go into all that. And I'll probably talk about the etymology of places that we've already done before. I'll probably review. I might expand. Who knows? There might be more theories to dive into. Um, but uh, France comes from a people known as the Franks, and we'll talk more about them later. Uh, that's another reason I didn't dive too much into it, because the Franks are a very specific people you can talk about, but they're nowhere close to existing uh, as a as a identifiable group. Um, whereas here, you know, uh, there's there's a little bit there's a little bit more stuff we can we can kind of dive into, but um, yeah, that's that's the reason. And again, I understand it's arbitrary. I, I fully acknowledge that, but. Uh, it kind of is what it is. <laughs> um, not that many people have complained. I just had a couple of people ask about it. So that's that's why. Uh, but we do need to talk about the state of these islands. Now, as we've talked about several times uh, this season, uh, the Younger Dryas is a very, has a very big impact on... Uh, the state of the world, uh, and uh, we are at a point where now where that has ended somewhere between 17,000 to 15,000 years prior to the start of this season. And temperatures worldwide, of course, become very close to what they are today with a few notable exceptions. And one of those exceptions uh, is the island of Britain. Uh, Temperatures uh, there were hotter than they are today, which uh, you kind of surprised me uh, thinking about it because Britain's more north than a lot of other places in Europe. But I think it has to do with um, with how the um, the ice caps melting. I, I, I didn't quite understand it, but I think it has to do with the ocean currents. Um, they kind of sped up. And pushed warmer air. Uh, if you've ever looked at a map for how the currents circulate, I think warmer air was pushed uh, higher uh, at this period, which is part of the reason the ice caps melt. But of course, as time goes on, that kind of levels out to make it more evenly distributed across Europe. That's that's kind of my rough understanding. And again, I have no basis of like. Um, weather uh expertise but that's kind of what i got from looking at like maps and reading about it so and again this is not a long thing this does not last um this period where the temperatures were hotter than they are today does not last long um but and it's not that much hotter we're talking maybe uh you know, maybe 10 degrees at the hottest, and it's, you know, we're talking probably average maybe, you know, two to three degrees more, um, or two or three degrees warmer than what you would see today regularly. Um, but what this does with the retreating ice caps, this makes the uh, the environment and the, the weather really conducive to birch trees. Um, so there's this is a huge explosion of birch forest kind of growing, um, you know, all through the island. Uh, minus places, of course, where you have rivers run throughing, uh, mountainous regions, hilly regions, uh, you know, and you have marshlands and things like that where birch trees aren't, you know, it's not conducive to grow them quite as well. But birch trees are kind of the, the first big 
pieces of vegetation to return to the islands after the end of the Younger Dryas. Um, then around sometime around 6,300, 6,200, give or take, you know, a century or so, um, there is a very, you know, bad cold snap. And that gets, I think, temperatures down to, um, on average, like five or five to 10 degrees colder than they are on average now. And this cold snap lasts for eh, about 150-ish years. Not not that long in the grand scheme of things, but it's during this time that pine tr- pine trees and um, uh, some other kind of like those evergreen things like maybe um, alder, I think, is another tree uh, that's, you know, that this colder weather is more conducive to. And that kind of thins out the birches a little and it allows these pines and these other trees to kind of take over. And after this cold snap, the temperature evens out close, you know, very close to what it is today. Um, and it is, you know, it's at that point, you know, that the trees and the vegetation kind of begins to make its, you know, uh, begins to kind of uh, correct to the temperature. Now, I couldn't get firm information on this, but Ireland is probably seeing very similar climate and ecological patterns. Um, Ireland's, Ireland still has some forests and things like that, but they're not quite as extensive as England is. This is due to a number of reasons, um, that we'll get into later, but they, you know, they do have very similar, um, kind of, uh, weather patterns, uh, for the most part. Uh, and this probably led to some, you know, similar levels of, um, vegetation and things like that. Of course, there are differences, but again, we'll, we'll dive more into that later. Um, now, in Britain, in terms of natural resources, uh, there are herd animals uh, like reindeer and wild horses. Of course, during that, you know, that last glacial maximum, younger Dryas period, uh, and these uh, begin to disappear uh, in the archaeological record. Uh, of course, when you find like sources of like uh, human refuse and debris, um, reindeer, wild horses, they completely disappear. Uh, from animal bone records. Uh, so um, that's understandable, of course, with the climate changing. And of course, humans, you know, knowing how to hunt those animals quite well, if they weren't extinct because of the change in the environment, they were shortly, you know, done in by the humans after the environment had damaged, of course, their the, the environmental change, of course, damaged uh, their numbers, too. There's, there's no doubt. It's a combination of factors. It's not just humans hunting these animals to extinction. So horses do exist all across the Eurasian steppe, but, of course, uh, they die out uh, on, I think, I think, in, uh, I think they're almost completely gone. All the wild versions are gone, at least in Central and Western Europe. They might have been... Um, maybe in Poland and the things like that, but of course they are still existing in the steppe and what is now like Belarus, Ukraine, Russia, that kind of things. Uh, so a very smaller range um, west of the Urals, whereas in the east in the Urals and Central Africa, or not Central Africa, excuse me, Central Asia, of course, you still have a lot of wild varieties of horses. Um, 
Sorry, I lost my place. Oh, so while those herd animals are disappearing, you do see the rise of more uh, solid, uh, solitary animals. Uh, things like boars, um, deers, uh, and you know elks. And you have several types of deer, uh, red deer. Um, I think um, I think they have white a uh, white tail variety. Uh, I think black tail as well. But um, you, you have a few different ver. Um, species of deer uh elks and you know those those can kind of herd up during periods but for the most part they they kind of live uh in much smaller groups than what you're uh, talking about for um um the um reindeer and um horses and things like that um Though I should point out that larger animals uh, like uh, deer um, don't appear in the archaeological record in Ireland until around 4000 BCE um, for whatever reason. Now, they could have been existing in very small numbers or it's possible that humans just weren't interested in beginning to hunt the deer until that point in time. Um, but why they show up then and not earlier uh, is a matter of debate. Uh, some people think they may have um, uh, swam from uh, some smaller islands that were maybe still visible or possibly had like hopped like remnants of ice sheets. Or it's possible that, you know, some humans coming from, uh, you know, Scotland or Wales or England or where, or, you know, the modern uh, countries uh, that occupy those places, they may have brought deer over to kind of populate. Uh, they may have understood that, you know, you bring deer to this island where no other predator except for you live, uh, you, you can at least have some, some wild, free-range uh, herd animals. But, um, again, that's, that's debated and, you know, kind of talked about at, you know, at length. Um... And again, that's just in Ireland. Of course, all those things are existing in Britain. Now, in addition to the growth of the new forests, uh, wetlands expand as well. Uh, and this becomes a home for, you know, a ton of different waterfowl. And, um, you know, marine life, obviously, uh, will, will flood those areas pretty quickly. And uh, we also talked about it last week, but the land bridge connection... Uh, between Britain and mainland Europe may still exist at the end of our season, uh, but it is becoming a much more narrow strip of land, and the rest of this, um, you know, this land uh, pathway, uh, dogger land, uh, as it is called, uh, sinks uh, or is sinking beneath the waves, um, or has sunk. Uh, for, again, in the situation of most of it. And, of course, the land bridge between Ireland and Britain uh, probably disappeared even before the start of the Younger Dryas. I think the most most common um, time estimate would be something like the year 14,000 BCE or BC. Um, though it is possible, you know, that there were, you know, sizable icebergs or maybe ice sheets um, still in the sea, again, between those two land masses uh, to where to well after this period uh, it, it's debated uh, but that is the that is one of the reasons why uh, it's suspected that Ireland 
does not have near the number of um, things like reptiles that Britain does, at least naturally. Uh, basically, the, the, the theory is that like Ireland's cut off from mainland Europe um, before it's warm enough for animals and things like that, uh, snakes and lizards and things like that to survive uh, fairly well. So that that's the that's the primary theory, at least that I was able to read. All right, and now let me just make sure I've got my notes here. Yes, okay, so now we need to talk about uh, the people living in these various islands. Uh, and I'm going to start with Ireland. And um, we talked about this a little, I think, the last time we were in Europe at the 10,000 BC uh, season. Um, Ireland had probably been occupied, at least for short periods of time, in very small numbers by Homo sapiens before this. Of course, the exact time frame this would have been is very, uh, very highly debated, and there are a handful of artifacts that are older than 20,000 years, but some of these could have easily been carried to the islands by tides or by ice sheets, you know, um, you know, catching things that are in the water and, you know, uh, further south. And then as they're retreating, they're pulling them up. Um, but there's not of uh, this, if their humans are living in Ireland at this early period, uh, they're not living there in very huge numbers and it does not last for very long. It's not long enough for them to make a massive impact in the archeological record. But regardless uh, Ireland is apparently abandoned during the Younger Dryas when, you know, however long it had been occupied before then, however uh, frequently. Um, during that period, it is, there are no humans. Uh, there is no evidence of them. They don't show up again in the archaeological record uh, until around 7,500, 7,300, somewhere in that time frame. Um, people begin to return. And these people are very much in the uh, the older Mesolithic hunter-gatherer mindset. And their tools mostly reflect this almost perfectly. Uh, they use very large stone flight hand axes. Um, though they do polish these stones a little bit more than I think was common for uh, other Mesolithic groups. And that might be due to the nature of um, where they're getting their stones. Maybe they're getting them from... Uh, rivers and things like that uh, or you know somewhere where the tides are you know regular um, but they also use odsies or odza uh, and what these are uh, this is a slightly newer tool it shows up a lot in early neolithic settlements as well um, and what this is is a, it's, a, it's a newer type of tool and um there are number of places where the Odzi shows up. And essentially, the easiest way to probably think about this is essentially a, um, a wooden hoe. Uh, they aren't using stones to make hoes, but they're, they're using instead like wood. And what they're using the Odzi for, not necessarily to um, till the land or the dirt, but they're usually using them to um, maybe level things out for, um, you know, maybe putting down a tent or things like that they're using them to pry um 
possibly um, muscles and things, um, limpets. I think I mentioned in the uh, the Iberian episode, like uh, barnacles. You know, limpets are very similar to barnacles, and they may have been using them to pry uh, those animals off of the rocks to get to get them out and get them uh, to where they can be opened up and eaten. Um, and this appears to be a homegrown invention. This doesn't seem to be uh, something they're picking up from anywhere else. Um, and, I, and then when I say that, I mean in terms of their stone tools. They they have a very, um, you know, a very uh, static tool tradition. It doesn't seem to change much until much later. Um, and there's no pre-industry, there's no earlier type of tools that show up in any number. Again, because Ireland hasn't been inhabited at large scale, or at least at any real scale above a handful of, of groups, maybe. But they there's no, like, uh, there's no... They don't show up with an earlier tradition and then begin to evolve this. They're using the same tools throughout this period. They show up with them there, and they're... And these type of stone tools don't appear to be connected necessarily with any earlier tradition. Um, the Arensberg, you know, the one in that North Germany, lowlands, very south uh, east of Britain, that kind of thing. Um, so just keep that in mind. Now, um, and it's also un it appears to be completely unrelated to the people living in Britain at this time. Um, the Isle of Man, though, which is that island kind of um, off the uh, kind of to the north of what is modern day Wales, Wales kind of um, where Scotland kind of uh, you know uh, in the southwest. There's like an island. It's called the Isle of Man. Um, it does appear uh, that they have the same type of tools as you will see in Ireland. However, uh, there's no sign of anyone living on the Isle of Man until around 6,500 to 6,000 BCE. So it's likely that peoples from Ireland uh, are the first people to uh, colonize that island, at least uh, as far as we can tell. So, again, the stolen stone industry, Ireland only, and man, uh, Ireland and man. So, uh, just keep that in mind. And, of course, they also use stone and, you know, uh, other stone tools and bone, bone tools, very simple things. But, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what stands out about them. Now, the homes, we have found some, uh, some preserved... Uh, parts of their homes and things like that, but they were all built out of temporary material. Uh, so, and most of their sites appear to be seasonal. Uh, these uh, their their homes are usually made out of reeds, and they're kind of layered to kind of be like oblong domed almost. Uh, and of course, they would use animal skins and hides stretched over woods uh, to cover holes, and of course to make tents. Um, so. Yeah, uh, they're 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 building a couple different kinds of um, semi semi permanent or you know uh, settlements or or houses, and they also made uh, simple boats, very similar to canoes. You know, they uh, they clear out um, 
uh, tree trunks, you know, uh, and these were used to get uh, fish and the like, um, you know, just offshore or to kind of travel up river quickly. Um, and fish and things like that are, are a huge part of the diet of people living in Ireland. Um, though they're not just living on the coasts and the rivers. They did move inland along the river systems. Uh, and then, you know, they would probably go to nearby um, woods and things like that from the rivers. And they would get things like wild nuts uh, and uh, things like that. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the, that's the most, like, uh, nuts are a very big component of the, uh, of the plants they're harvesting. There's nothing like, uh, wheat or, uh, any kind of wild grass like that, that they would have even been able to, to harvest. They wouldn't even have been able, attempted to domesticate, uh, crops in that nature. Um, uh, they, I suppose they could have tried to domesticate trees or maybe, I think there are some fruit like berries uh, that were edible, um, but there's no evidence that they even begin to attempt that. They're just they're just harvesting wild versions of those uh, of those plants. Um, now, most of the sites at this period are in the southeast of the island uh, of the island uh, near, I think, the modern city of Cork. Um, but there are some sites uh, found in kind of the northeast. Um, and these are much smaller, uh, and I don't know that they're at this, you know, if they're at these sites for the full duration of this period. Um, they may have been, again, seasonal. They may have been attempts by uh, humans to maybe expand there, but it didn't quite work out, at least not not all at once. They may have had to make a couple of attempts. Um, it's hard to really say. Um <clears throat> But the population for the island of Hull is probably very small, and it will probably remain small. Uh, I think at this early stage, this early junction that we're talking about, there's probably no more than 10,000 people on the whole island. And again, it's, it stays this way for a while, I think until, uh, I think until the, f like the mid-4,000s or maybe even the early, you know, late, or I'm sorry, early 3000s BCE. Um, and also there is a, and the reason um, that we're kind of, we think this is because there is a really big gap in the archaeology in Ireland. Um, we have these early burials and tools, you know, at mid 7000s BCE, so 7500, 7250, you know, right in there. Um, you know, you have a lot of these these tools, that kind of thing, everything I've talked about. And then there's some, you know, you find refuse sites and things like that uh, that can be dated to around 6000 BC, right at the end of their season. After that, though, they found almost nothing. So there's like a gap between 6,000 BCE until again, right around 4,500 to 4,000 BCE. Then we find tools again. And the, the tools are, you know, very similar, if not identical to the tools at the start 
of their of this of this culture, this this early Irish culture, the seven thousand five hundred to seven thousand three hundred. So again, there's no major innovation. There doesn't appear to be any new types of tools uh, brought in just yet. So why is there this gap in in the archaeological record? And it's a very interesting couple of theories on that. Uh, but as it is taking place next season, uh, we're gonna have to leave it a mystery for now. So uh, uh, this is a this is a hook. I'm gonna try to get you guys coming back for more for this one. Um, not gonna dive too much into it. So if you want to know what happens, you have to come back next season to talk about uh, Ireland uh, at their our next time period. Now uh, to talk about Britain at our time frame. Uh, so prehistoric Britain, um, of course, we. Sorry, I'm getting all the notifications right now from work stuff, even though it's Sunday evening. So that'll be fun to deal with tomorrow. So I've talked about the um, the uh, the animals showing up, um, the changes to the. Um, the environment, um, but Britain also has uh, some other uh, advancements that show up for the first time in the archaeological record. And again, Britain was occupied uh, before the Younger Dryas, and um, during the Younger Dryas, if people remained, they're just stuck in a very uh, localized area in the southeast of the country. You know, right in that um, uh, Doggerland area. Uh, but dogs appear to show up a lot more frequently in the um, in the archaeological record at this point. So uh, 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 domesticated dogs uh, definitely are in Britain by this point. Now they are a little bit further along in terms of um, uh, stone technology. They are kind of in a transitory period, almost between. Uh, the Mesolithic hunter-gatherers and this Neolithic hunting-gathering, um, you know, uh, tool set. So their, their blades are becoming smaller, more specialized. Um, they're not using the larger stone heads. They're using the, the smaller ones uh, for things like deers. They're probably using spears with barbed points so they don't just fall out. You know, they kind of stay in there and kind of tear. Um they're eating a lot of waterfowl, things like uh, wild ducks, probably, I think, swans are at this point in the area, uh, geese, that kind of thing. Um, but they also, of course, have um, you know plenty of uh, uh, rabbits um, and things like that. Um, and then there's even wild cattle uh, here, too, aurochs, uh, which I don't believe there's any evidence of those in... Um, in Ireland uh, at this point. I could be wrong about that, though. Um, they're, of course, using flint, which is uh, pretty important, especially for the, um, the... I think flint's a little bit easier to make those um, microlithic-style tools at. Uh, they also have adzies uh, that show up in the archaeological record. And, yeah, that's, again, one of those... Um, you know, wood-based tools as opposed to just um, stone and wood. But it's a very specialized type of 
a tool as opposed to a, you know, a spear or a bow or an arrow. They they can be used to just basically kill anything. Whereas the Adzi is it's not necessarily a weapon at any point. It's used specifically for um, controlling land or you know uh, getting um, specific foodstuffs. Which again is very uh, very you know something that's happening in a lot of other places in the world. Um, and this this kind of tool industry is um, getting spread all across the British Isles. Um, it's not just in England. It is now in, of course, what is modern uh, Scotland and uh, parts of Wales as well. Uh, now, their homes are a little bit different. Um, they are... They, these people appear to stay in places a little bit um, more uh, or a little bit longer than what they're doing in Ireland. So they're, uh, they're not moving quite as often, but they are still moving. Um, they have found kind of like early, um, very early, um, they're not, they're not villages, not really, because they're just, they're just homes, but, um, there are places I think at um, uh, I think in Sheffield they have found uh, a, a several different um, huts, uh, and I think they found some around uh, twenty-five, uh, f- like fire pits, kind of all in a group. So you know, little huts, maybe housing, uh, you know, anywhere between two to two to five people, uh, maybe a little bit more depending on um, the size of the floor plan, which can be debated. Um, and there's all they're all fairly close to uh, water, um, rivers, things like that. Uh, they're not in marshes, I think, directly, but they are, in some cases, on the borders of marshes and things like that. Um, and they th- these people, again, they are, they are still fairly mobile, um, but they're not uh, they're not as mobile as the Irish. Uh, they appear to uh, work seasonal, I guess, um, seasonal food sources. Uh, they they alternate. They they have a very wild wide skill set. Essentially, uh, they're probably hunters. Uh, you know, during certain periods of the year, they're fishers and others, and then at other times they are you know almost probably 75-80% um, hunter-gatherers, like, or, uh, excuse me, gatherers. They're, they're, uh, they're focusing on getting uh, resources from plants and uh, uh, things like that, trees. Um, and, of course, you know, they probably have wild berries in addition to a lot of different types of nuts. I think hazelnut uh, is one that they found all, a good bit of evidence for. Um. Also, uh, there there tends to be, um, I guess, barriers between several different groups. Um, People aren't traveling super long distances. You know, they're within, um, you know, they're they're, they're all very um, regional-based. Like, uh, it appears like one group had, like, their river, their forests, you know, their marsh, and they would kind of alternate, and then another group would have their river, their marsh, that kind of thing. Um, 
just uh, just bear in mind though that that might not be quite as clear cut, but that's what the evidence, at least that we found, tends to show. Now uh, there has been some DNA found in some people um, uh, from this this period of time, uh, and that is uh, of course the famous Cheddar Man. Uh, and uh, Cheddar is the name of the. Uh, there, there is a gorge called Cheddar Gorge. Um, I think it's in the. Uh, I forget the name. I think it's. I think it's Somerset. Um, but it's there's like a bay between um, uh, Wales and Cornwall, and I think Cheddar Gorge is kind of in that area. And that name, interestingly enough, comes from the Old English uh, uh, Seder, uh which is uh, something like a ravine or um, a cavity or pouch, something like that. Uh, and of course, uh, that evolved over time to Cheddar, uh, the region's known for having a lot of um, really good cheeses, uh, at least you know, that are produced in England. Uh, so it, it was kind of known for that in, uh, in the region. So uh, cheddar cheese is, you know, from that region. That's where the term cheddar arose from. Um, but they found the cheddar man uh, in a uh, gorge um, uh, kind of in the wild there. And he was discovered, I think it was... Uh, hold on, I have it written down in my notes somewhere. 19... No, wait, sorry. That's when they did the DNA test. When did they find him? I could have sworn I wrote that down. Ah, 1903. That's it. 1903. Now, the DNA test, I think they have done a couple of rounds on Chatterman. One in 1997 and the other in, I think, 2017. Uh, and that one has led to a little bit of a controversy uh, that we'll get into here uh, in just a second. Um, but uh, I do want to remind people, uh, if you need to, you can go back to listen to the 10,000 BC, um, BCE for Europe. There were a couple episodes there. I talked about how Europe, at least from the initial wave of Homo sapien arrival, um, kind of divided into two groups, the Eastern and Western hunter-gatherers. Um, the uh, Western hunter-gatherers could have um, dark uh, to uh, lighter brown skin, and they also apparently uh, had a proclivity to having lighter color eyes, uh, blue or green. And then in the Western hunter-gatherers, you tended to have, or I'm sorry, the Eastern hunter-gatherers, you tended to have lighter skin, and lighter hair, uh, but they did again keep um, apparently uh, had a, lot, a high probability for uh, brown eyes, um, at least comparatively to the Western hunter gatherers. Um, so, uh, in the 2017, I guess testing, uh, they had a number of um, they they basically compared Cheddar Man's DNA with DNA from a number of different uh, ethnic groups um, and samples from all over the world, and they kind of compared his DNA uh, to everyone else, basically line by line, essentially like, okay, based on you know this, he had 
DNA matching almost perfectly with people with blue eyes and all this other stuff and what his hair may have been like um, and in you know they compared to what his skin may have been like um, so uh, they did a facial reconstruction based off what they found um, and this you know reconstruction kind of created a little bit of a firestorm uh, in Britain um, and when this was announced, I think it was 2018, so you had a lot of conversation at the time, um, you know, how accurate is this really, you know, because there were, you know, there were people calling him uh, the first Briton, uh, and he had black skin, and, you know, this was kind of seen as, like, some people, um, you know, using this as kind of like a, uh, you know, an argument against like uh, any integration, anti Brexit, um, you know, propaganda. Some people accused, uh, you know, basically made the accusation, um, you know, and it's it's all kind of, you know, basically the media kind of ran with this, uh, and I do think there was, you know, a little bit of um, a little bit of maybe the uh, the scientists who did the kind of study maybe trying to get um, a reaction, you know, get their names out there, you know, get a you know kind of make a big splash, you know, because it, it was a fairly important thing. Um, and you know, there's always a certain level of subjectivity with art, and this is you know these facial reconstructions to an extent they are you know they're part science, but they're also part art, and. Uh, Quite frankly, the Cheddar Man reconstruction is not very uh, not very flattering to Cheddar Man. Um, it essentially looks like he he is a European, like he he looks like that he would be white, except they've essentially just given him blackface. In my opinion, that's what it looks like to me. He looks like someone who is wearing blackface. Um, now, part of that might be because. You know, I would. You know, I am not used to seeing a person a person with black skin have blue eyes naturally. Uh, you know, obviously, there are contacts. Um, you know, I have seen people with darker skin with green eyes that are natural, but blue eyes it's 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 eerie. It's off putting. Like it is. It's just you know, it's something I've never seen before. It would be something that would never occur to me that could happen naturally. But DNA evidence tends to show that it could happen, that the, um, the I guess, the genes that cause blue eyes and the genes that cause darker skin are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, that being said, if you actually dive into what, it's, uh, what the DNA testing revealed about his skin color... They actually say that there was a 75% chance he had uh, dark to black skin, uh, whereas he had a 25% chance of having uh, medium to light brown skin. Um, now, those terms are not very scientifically accurate. Um, what is dark skin to someone may not, you know, could be considered light skin to someone else. I feel like they probably would have been better served, scientifically uh, speaking, to have maybe had a reconstruction based on, 
you know, maybe a range of what his skin tone may be. Maybe he had the darkest skin tone, maybe what the lightest it could have been. Because I have a feeling, and this is just me from kind of reading about this stuff. Um, and again, we, we've talked about this before. Lighter skin typically did not become really widespread until populations switched to agriculture. Uh, and if they're living in further northern um, latitudes. Uh, just because you're not getting direct sunlight and you don't have enough vitamin D. So you need lighter skin to pull more vitamin D from the sun, um, which is the current scientific, I guess, consensus, or at least the most popular theory of how white skin evolved, or lighter skin, because it's, you know, again, skin tone's a range. It's, there's no one, it's not black and white, literally. There are, uh, you know, thousands of hues of skin. Um, but, so, yeah, I think it would have been better if they had given a range. And there are some pictures that some people have done to, that have, uh, that they've adjusted the color. They've kind of, um, changed it to, like, or changed the saturation of the pictures to give examples of what, uh, lighter skin would have looked like based on the DNA test, um. Again, he definitely had brownish skin. The question is, how dark is that compared to Sub-Saharan Africans or modern-day Europeans? I feel like it probably be closer to someone maybe from the Middle East or maybe Southern India. Um, but again, that's just my understanding of the DNA and how. You know, the environment would affect skin colors for that population as a whole. It doesn't really matter. This is just people fighting about stuff on the internet just based on uh, very small parts of evidence. Um, it would be very helpful, obviously, if we could uh, test other uh, Britons or Europeans uh, living at around that same period. And again, I think uh, I, think I said 7,500 um, I think some more recent carbon dating stuff has shown it could even be a thousand years earlier than that, um, give or take. Excuse me. So it's possible he's just before our time period, but he's close enough that I did want to talk about him. And he's a famous, you know, he's a, one of the more famous finds in archaeology. Um, in terms of size, he was around... Uh, five feet five inches, which is like 165 meters, or I'm not 100. Sorry, 1.65 meters. Um, and he probably didn't weigh more than 150 pounds. Um, but you know, for that time, for hunter gatherers, he was probably in decent enough shape. Um, he may, of course, need wanted more food, but. Um, you know, there doesn't appear to have been too much wrong with him, with the exception of what probably uh, killed him. Um, he does appear to have died a violent death. Now, what that means doesn't really doesn't really give me too much of an answer. Um, he did have like a really big kind of um, uh, impact uh, right above his like right eye. Uh, and it appears to have maybe been infected. 
so he could have died from a fever or he may have been injured and um, his he just never had a chance to recover and he just you know got sick and, and passed away um, but he was a young man I think he's only in his 20s uh, when he dies so now there is another interesting factor in his um, in his burial uh, a lot of other sites dating to around this period uh, do show like when, when people are buried in these caves which is normal being found in the cave fairly common um there are a lot of uh, communal burials, and we've talked about this in other places. Uh, groups tend to bury people communally. Um, he is found alone. There's no one else in the cave that um, with him. Uh, there, There's a cave not far from where he was where they found, I think, around 25 individuals or so. Uh, so he, he's buried alone, which has led some people to believe that he may have he may have gone to that cave um, after he was wounded, and he may have just died there. And he, you know, just naturally over time, uh, his remains, you know, got uh, got buried in the cave just through you know the passage of time. Um, which is you know, I mean, that's pretty sad honestly uh, I do hope that he was at least with uh, someone I hope he wasn't forgotten or lost to whoever his family uh, may have been um, he's younger than I am now thinking about it so that's that's just one of those little sad facts that you sometimes get across in um, archaeology and history and speaking of him and his family, um, they are part of the um, the U haplogroup, uh, which is a mighty uh, excuse me a mitochondrial DNA haplogroup, which again is um, the female ancestry uh, that shows up in both male and female descendants. Uh, U is a fairly widespread haplogroup. Uh, it emerged in uh, what is now, um, I believe, uh, West Asia, uh, which is, you know, Middle East and um, uh, Holy Land, Anatolia, somewhere probably in that region. And it emerged, or so the last common female ancestor that uh, that is, I guess, the grandmother of this group, uh, one of the daughters of one of Eve's daughters, if we remember our uh, our mitochondrial Eve, dis- or, um, yeah, our mitochondrial Eve discussion, uh, she lived somewhere uh, between probably, I believe, um, forty nine thousand to forty three thousand years ago. Uh, which again, you have to uh, remember that they can't accurately date this because you have to do averages of lifespan, generations, all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's hard to know exactly when. But uh, she was probably, if not out of Africa uh, at that point, uh, she was living close, uh, probably close by it in the Middle East, somewhere along those lines. Um, Now, uh, of course, there are subgroups. So, you know, eventual 
uh, daughters of her daughters or so on and so forth, you know, generations removed. Um, she had daughters who herself, who themselves became um, common ancestors for a number of different populations. Uh, U5 is the one we're going to be referring to now. And this is also a fairly widespread um, haplogroup, so uh, these daughters, uh, ancestors ended up in a lot of places. Um, the uh, Western hunter-gatherers, who remember are the majority of the Gravedian population in the West, um, again, the people who have the tendency to have the lighter eyes and darker skin, or at least darker than their Eastern hunter-gatherers, the Eastern European hunter-gatherers, um, they are, they're almost all U5, if not all. I think, they, in fact, they probably are all U5 uh, descendants. Um, in today's uh, world, I think most of these descendants, um, or direct descendants, would be people like the Sami, the Finns, and the Estonians in Northern Europe, but there are also some parts of, um, uh, Southern Europe, uh, where you do have uh, people who actually have majority um, U5 ancestry, uh, and those are the um, Basques and the Cantabrians, which are um, sub-populations uh, of the Iberian Peninsula. Of course, Basques, um, they are in uh, parts of southern France and northern um Spain, and then you have the Cantabrians, who are also in northern Spain, though a slightly different uh, part of uh, Spain. I think they're a little bit further to the west than the Basques. So, excuse me, um, you have, um, um, in modern populations in Europe, some, uh, there, there is some level of ancestry to, to pretty much all Europeans who have some U5 uh, ancestry. Um, now, how closely related, whether they're direct descendants of someone from U5 is hard to say, um, but in general, there's probably around a, anywhere between 10 to 12 percent um, of, uh, of their ancestry being uh, haplogroup U. Um, with again the most uh, most of those being the Basques and Cantabrians and the north uh, northern uh, Europeans uh, the northeast Europeans the Estonians Latvians and sorry the Estonians uh, Finns and Sami peoples um, and we'll talk about why that is why they're not more widespread a lot next season uh, with the spread of agricultural groups. Uh, but that does leave one final big, I guess, controversy or mystery uh, about England at this time. Um, again, most people, uh, all the people in that U5 haplogroup, uh, people related to Cheddarman, however closely or not, um, are all hunter-gatherers. However, uh, there was some finds on the Isle of Wight, which is uh, that, that big island directly to the south of the English coast. It's the biggest island in the English Channel, I believe, by a large margin, um, though there are several smaller ones uh, in that region. Uh, they have found evidence of wheat, and not just 
you know, wild wheat, we're talking wheat that's actually almost genetically identical to wheat that you would find uh, in the Middle East and the Levant. Um, now, we already know that people coming from Anatolia are probably bringing crops and domesticated strains of animals into Greece, kind of at the kind of like at the you know seven thousand point part of our of our time frame. Remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that and how it's spreading quickly along you know the Mediterranean coast all, all around, and it even probably got to France. However, um, this wheat shows up on the Isle of Wight right at six thousand BC. Um, so uh, obviously, it's not a people who are traveling that far there's no reason for people to travel that far that fast at this time Um, but it does seem to indicate that there may have been extremely long scale uh, trade routes at this time now obviously there have been trade routes before in human history we've talked about it Um, but this would be something that would be incredibly long like it'd be the longest in the world at this point we're talking about a trade route from um, at the least, at the least, like southeast Italy to the Isle of Wight. Um, now, this is a very controversial discovery. There are people who are saying that this is dated wrong. Um, that this is, you know, probably a thousand years too soon for it to show up. Now, the um, the people who have made this discovery and who are very firm about this date. They are adamant that they have dated correctly, and they have, you know, they have given their answer to some of the um, to some of the criticisms of their dating methods. Uh, and this is done by uh, Michael Baller. Uh, excuse me, Balter, I believe is his name. I wrote that wrong. My handwriting is terrible, by the way. Um, so, and this was found on the Boulder Cliff Mesolithic Village. Um, so, uh, I'm not going to dive too much into this, but if this is correct, um, then the seeds being traded along the southern, or the, the Mediterranean coast along Italy, Sardinia, and all that stuff, um, these are much more widespread than we have evidence for. It's possible that there is some level of agriculture then all throughout Europe at this point in time. Um, why it gets to the Isle of Wight uh, at this period, um, we can't say, but uh, it's possible that uh, these uh, Mesolithic hunter-gatherers uh, are getting these um, seeds in trade for you know various. Uh, pieces of maybe obsidian or you know their other material or foods that they have uh, and they're given these seeds and they either don't know how to use utilize them correctly and how to plant them or you know they fail in the experiment um i personally think there probably is a dating problem um but that's just me. I, I can't back that up. I, I can't do any better than the people who have refuted this. And again, uh, Balter has been very adamant that this is um, that this is the correct um, uh, correct um, date. Um, and I don't know enough to counter 
counter any of his claims. So I will say if it is there, uh, it is a massive find and it, you know, it's basically sitting there waiting for someone to basically rewrite the history of agriculture in the Europe for, uh, you know, a couple of thousand years early. Um, but um, as we'll see, if these seeds are there, they don't make a major impact on the people living in the region. They won't for another 3,000-ish years, give or take. Um, and why that is, is of course stuff we'll get in next time. But, uh, well, not next time, but next season when we return to Europe. Now, I think that's probably a good place to call it. Um, I hope I didn't offend anyone with my talk about the Cheddar Man. Um, again, I think uh, I think just debating about his skin color is it serves no purpose. It's kind of stupid. Uh, I think the scientists who put that out there, I don't think they had like a nefarious left wing agenda. Um, but I do think that they were trying to make a splash to draw attention to their research, you know, try to help with funding, that kind of thing. Um, and I do think, and this may not have been their decision. They may have been limited by funds. Uh, they may have been encouraged by the, uh, you know, the journalistic community that they're interacting with uh, to be as sensationalist as possible. But if you actually read these, you know, these researchers, these scientists, they're not making these wild claims uh, quite the same as, you know, the people talking to them are, like the, the journalists. Um, that's just the, the problem, you know, big mass corporate media. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, again, the, mo the most interesting things about Cheddar Man, none of it has to do with his skin color. It has to do with the nature of his death, his burial, or his unburial depending on the case and you know how how he's related to the people around him like um you know that kind of thing so um but again it, i would encourage people to look at the reconstruction the new one if you google it it's the first thing that comes up again i think it's i think it's really offensive i'm surprised that people weren't pissed about it in a different way because it looks like he is a white guy wearing blackface, um, but that's maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm completely out of you know. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe you'll look at it and say, yeah, no, that that looks like he 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 doesn't look white at all or European at all, I should say. Um, but yeah. Uh, now uh, we are in October. Uh, I will be doing some bonus episodes. Like I said, I'll do at least uh, one. Um, per week um that are quote-unquote bonus um that said i am doing real episodes at the same time um but i will not be doing real episodes every week so basically you have this episode which is you know a canon history episode or prehistory in this case um then at some point this week i'll put out a bonus episode i'm going to try it to have it out as early as possible and then uh, next Monday we'll have another bonus episode. Uh, and then I will do at least one more, probably two more um, history episodes in addition to the kind of the spooky Halloween stuff or you know fantasy Halloween stuff, however you want to look at it. 
Um, but I hope you all enjoy. Um, I got a really good reception to last week's episode, and I'm hoping you all enjoy this uh, this one too. So uh, thank you all for joining me, for listening, uh, for downloading, liking, subscribing, all that great stuff. If you have any questions or feedback, if you just want to tell me I'm wrong about Twitter, man, please, please feel free. You can reach me at war at revpod at gmail.com. You can message me on Twitter via direct message or X as it's known now. Or you can comment on any of my YouTube videos, which I, uh, I am uploading. I am also been live streaming fairly regularly uh, for some game stuff on the YouTube channel. If you'd like to drop by and see my ugly mug, comment there. You're more than welcome to. I'm going to, for Halloween, I am going to be playing some horror games uh, as opposed to more history or, you know, warfare-based stuff that I normally play. So, um, yeah, I hope you, I hope you've enjoyed. I hope you'll have a good uh, day and a good rest of your week. But thank you all again. Goodbye.